Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Listening to the Career Musician Podcast with creator and host Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. This episode of the Career Musician Podcast features Norwood Fisher of Fishbone. That's right, the band originally formed in 1979 out here in Los Angeles, California, which plays a fusion of ska, punk, funk, metal, reggae, and soul. Say that five times fast. I dare you. Fishbone are still rocking today. I love these guys. I got turned on to them in the mid-90s, just about when they were on the Lollapalooza circuit with none other than the Beastie Boys. Sit back and relax as Norwood and I chop it up about East Coast swag on the West Coast scene as he personifies to the umpteenth extent. This man is a funky, rockin', gnarly musician, bass player, actor, writer, and everything else in between. Check it out right here on The Career Musician. Well, bro, let me just start by saying it's an honor to have you on The Career Musician. I'm a big fan of your music. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Fishbone, man. I remember, now, I didn't get turned on to you guys until, like, you know, the early to mid-90s. But once I did, I was hooked. Because what I love about you guys is the, is the blend of funk, rock, ska, soul. I mean, just every, you guys throw everything in there, you know? Yeah, we, uh, you know what? We was just doing what came natural anyway. So we was, you know, for us, we were just happy, you know, happy that people appreciated what we were doing, you know. So it it was the the music that we de- that we did completely just simply reflected our listening habits. Ah, okay. Right, like that's just yeah, how we yeah. we listened to music like that. Like we didn't, you know, no one cared about genre we were just like oh that's a dope song you right. know if it was funkadelic if it was gary newman if it was fear and or the dead kennedys it was that's how we shared music with each other you know man i love that 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 is so that is so righteous that's the way it should be man you know yeah 
those, you know, it was, and, and the time, I, you know, the times that when we were our teen years, you know, like, you know, I was 12 in 1977. Yeah. You know? So that's the year that punk broke, right? Ah, <laughs> that's dope. Okay, okay, you know I see. I mean? yeah. so, so by the time I turned 14, you know, punk was actually making this impact in the, like in the media in a way that brought forth the curiosity and new wave, right? You can imagine, you know, 77, 78, 79, Saturday Night Live, right? Had Devo, Fear, right? That's a trip. Um, that's right there, yeah. That's <laughs> like that's you know, I'm sure Blondie showed up somewhere in there, right? Oh yeah, Blondie, it's, yeah. You know yeah. What I mean? It's like it's it's like so so things were changing. Right. There was there was a shift, you know. So I I like like I'm a hippie at heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Jimi Hendrix, the Who. Right, man. It was uh, so. I went to see the Who's first farewell tour, which happened to be the Clash opening. Oh wow! Right, yeah. So at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, you know. So it was that was that was just that was insane. So that was the two worlds that I was, you know, two worlds colliding. Like this mod, you know, this mod band that actually resonated with hippie culture. Mm. The Who, and then The Clash, which was the punk band that actually expanded out into reggae and funk, you know? Right, right. That actually preceded Fishbone and being difficult to define, to define genre-wise. Man, I love the whole concept of being genre ambiguous i think that's amazing like my wife and i talk about it all the time because we're in a band together we have a duo yeah. and and we call ourselves the music mutts you know that's like one of our that's not our title but that's one of our monikers music mutts because we're mutts we were like you said we were raised with everything you know and uh as you know it seems like the industry the record labels and the executives and a and r always try to put you in one category so they could sell you right so they can market and sell it and you know just doing the research on fishbone it's it's like one of the things that was always said about you guys you know an eclectic band like you guys have rave reviews for being perhaps one of the dopest you know eclectic bands of the 80s and 90s you know like so i think it's amazing i think what you guys did is amazing fusing all the genres and being you know real instrumentalists and singers yeah and 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 you know, I guess fortunate, fortunately for us, it was is is that it was purely an authentic expression, right? So, like, you know, like we we not we didn't even look at like any any of our any of the recordings that came out. We never had any protocol like you got to have so much of this style and so much of that style. It was like, is it a good song? Right. And that's all you ever got was like the best songs that we wrote. There was no you know, protocol to be anything but the guys that presented their best songs. Yeah. That's you incredible. Know? What was it like? Was it a democratic process where you'd all sit in the, in the, in the basement or the garage or whatever and say, Hey, who's got, you know, who's got a song today or who's got a song this week or how did that all happen? 
What was the process? You know what? It was, we were, we were a band that started, you know, we, we first played as 14 year olds. Right. Right. So 79, you know, from we, we, re, we rehearsed from 79 to 83. Nice. So it was a lot of time to get to know each other music, to grow, yeah. to, to share, to write, begin to write songs. And so, yeah, we didn't really think about, especially then, it was just when somebody came to the band, you know, we didn't, we didn't judge it in advance. We just go at it, you know? That's awesome. And it wasn't until after we made our first recording with Columbia that we where we got to okay it's time to make a new album right. and then it's just like every still it was still like everybody bring whatever you got yeah you know some people had a Kendall always wrote the most I maybe wrote the second most and Angelo wrote quite a bit too okay right so and then we were right together Kendall would call me on the phone like I got a song I can't think of lyrics beyond this and then. I would finish out what he had if I could, you know, most of the times I would. And Kendall and Angelo wrote together really well. And eventually Kendall and Chris really started to write together really well. Gotcha. I think Angelo would write with everybody. Nice. You know, and sometimes, you know, like depending on what was there, like we write ourselves into each other's songs, mm -hmm. you know, if, if that's what it took. Yeah. You know, but it was, it seemed to me like it all came from a place of purity. Like nobody, we were just trying to do the best songwriting that we could imagine. Right. And then beyond that, no two ways about it, David Kahn, the guy that brought us to Columbia Records, signed us our A&R man and producer. Like he was a gigantic part of the vetting process, mm -hmm. you know, so, and we trusted him. So. And even though, like, you know, there was frustrations at various times, I completely look back on the whole experience like it, it, had, it had to be David Kahn and it's his input that actually it couldn't be what you love without him. Wow. You know, so I completely appreciate it all. That's amazing. So he helped you guys really sh formulate and shape what fishbone is to this day yeah absolutely he was an integral part of it as as an arranger right. he didn't write into everything but where it was necessary he you know he did but he basically you know he was the right guy for the job and and i felt i feel like who we are you know had everything to do with his sense of arrangement i learned a lot from him I'm like I'm I'm producing a record right now and believe me everything that I'm doing is built on a foundation of what I learned with David Kahn. Uh, that's awesome. So yeah, I have just appreciation and respect. That's a beautiful thing, man. So so you and Fish grew up together, you and your brother Philip? Yeah, yeah, he's my younger brother. Right, so you guys grew up together like you said, listening to everything whether it was rock and roll funk soul music punk and then did you guys at an early age figure out oh shoot you know we we're musicians and we play well together and did, did it happen organically or how did what was that process like i was six years old and i asked for a guitar for christmas and that same year he asked for a snare drum <laughs> 
So you just knew. You just inherently knew. <laughs> what else was we going to do? I got a guitar. You got a snare. Let's write some songs. That's the first thing we did. That's awesome. Like we wrote, made up some made up some shit and, and yeah. kept doing it. How cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> I had the pleasure I had the pleasure of working with Fish a couple years ago uh yeah. with another artist uh named Cat Graham. And uh man, it was so it was so cool to meet your brother and you know, I really enjoyed that. So yeah. I mean you guys are badasses, you know. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I was six, he was four. Like he's a four year old with a snare drum figuring out how to get a, get towards the paradiddle. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, that is so cool, man. So cool. We had, we had an aunt that's sort of close in age to us. She's a little older than me. She was in a marching band in Sacramento. So, you know, she he was like, he liked that marching band thing. Gotcha. So that's what prompted the snare drum request. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Man, so uh, what part of the country did you grow up? Are you a native Los Angeles? Uh, 100% Southern California. Oh, man, that's yes. cool. You guys are a rarity. <laughs> yes. Very cool. So what was the music like in your house growing up? You mentioned all these different styles. Was there particular things that your folks liked listening to, or was it literally just a big gumbo of everything? Well, my dad was like a hippie rocker. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. was, was open-minded. <laughs> That's awesome. You know? My mother was was more, you know, church and you know, so there was there was gospel church vibes and right. you know, R more R and B. She did she right. was not playing the rock. Okay. Right? They they were divorced when I was five. Okay. So, you know, but but my dad was like he was about some Jimi Hendrix and some Sly and the Family Stone and yeah, you know, actually, uh, and his sister, my aunt Jackie, she she and her husband liked Funkadelic. Like they had this room where they did they had these a black light room in their house in Compton. Nice. And there was like these they did Funkadelic paintings on the walls. That's you awesome. Know? And they and and they, and Robbie, her husband, he could he collected uh, uh, adult comics, right? Interesting. So it would be like Robert Crumb and you, Very cool. you're the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers and, you know, things of that nature. So they had alternatives, alternative points of view for, for black people in that time. But maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't that unusual to be exploratory as people like to think. Mm. You know, because when, look, like I think about what, like by the time I got to high school, like my, f I have friends that like rock, black friends that yeah. like rock. Right. You know, most of them went into punk rock, but the, the my like my high school years, like actually there was a time in LA where everybody kind of listened to everything. Mm. You know, and and a lot of it first really in the black community because Prince put out Dirty Mind. Wow. And when that, yeah. when he, when he, when that, there's things on that cover, the pins on his jacket, Rule Boy is one of the pins, right? Uh-huh. Like they were, that kind of turned the hood out. And then the, 
the Times' first album, which yes. came in that same time period. When, like, so, I remember hearing it on the radio. Somebody, the announcer was saying, yeah, did you know that at the time, every, their, their wardrobe on the on the album cover, they all is all thrift store clothes. Right. But that sent the whole West Side black neighborhoods went to Melrose. Maybe the whole hood <laughs> ran down the Melrose and started buying thrift store clothes. Uh. Right. And discovered two tone. Two tone was super inclusive. You know. Two-Tone said very clearly, this music is for you, too. You know? That's so important, man. That's I'm so glad you touched on that because as uh, my, I'm, my father's Cuban, my mom's Italian. So I was a Cuban-Italian, but on the outside, I look like you know a regular white dude. But I've always loved all styles, of, all styles of music. I grew up playing rock, but then I got heavily into funk and soul and R&B, right? And I, I was like always on the opposite side of that. So here you are, a black guy getting into rock and punk and all that. Here I'm a white guy getting into soul and R&B. And for me, what I love what you just said is it's all inclusive, man. There shouldn't be these guidelines and these borders. It's, it should be all open. So, yeah. again, I love that's what you represent. So this, this is, okay, so even me at, as the basis that I am, right? So I got a guitar at age six. At age eight, I asked for a weight set for Christmas. Yeah. Christmas Day, my cousin Bud comes over. He looks at me, he looks at the weight set, and he looks at me and he goes, boy, you ain't going to lift them weights. <laughs> and he made me a deal to trade the weights for his bass. He was like, I'll trade you, to, I, I, I trade you, to, I trade you my bass. I throw in the amp and the speaker, which is PV Mark IV with a 215 cabinet speaker. And he's like, I throw in my rock record collection. Now that, that's age eight. He's like, I'm not listening to rock anymore. I'm only listening to jazz. Wow. Right? So I, I acquired this rock record collection, which had like, the first Funkadelic album and America Eats This Young. It had Woodstock 2. It had, uh, there was some Jefferson Airplane in there. There was Chicago Transit Authority. Wow. There was, like, it was, it was a bunch of stuff. And the first Grand Central Station album, Flying the Family Stone Stand, A Band of Gypsies, Axis Bold as Love. And the first posthumous Jimi Hendrix album, A Cry of Love. Wow. Maybe Electric Ladyland, did I say that? I think that was in there too. Okay. Um, so anyway, and there was more, right? So there yeah. was like, so I was able to freely go through those records, right? That's awesome. And then there was just what was on the radio in that time, right? Yeah. I was listening to black radio all the time yeah it got older and started exploring the dial more right you know and listening to straight up rock radio by the time i was like you know and dr demento i'm not even hip <laughs> i'm not hip to dr demento oh, i'm looking it up though <laughs> 
Talk about that, Doctor Demento. Okay, so Doctor Demento played the out shit. Okay, was he uh, Barry Hansen? I believe that is who Doctor Demento is. Yeah, I'm looking at. He had this radio show come on Sunday night on uh, KLOS, I believe. There was two stations, KLOS and KMET, that were the big rock stations, and I want to think it was KLOS. But uh, Doctor Demento, in like. That's where I would hear Frank Zappa. Mm. I listened to Dr. Demento. Like he, he played Dr. Demento, like the name. He played the crazy out shit. It's where maybe I heard the residence first. Mm, got you. Right. I love that, man. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm typing. I can't keep up with everything you're saying. I love. So you're spitting some good knowledge here, some historical facts. Okay, so you're growing up. Now you're immersed. You're listening to all this stuff. And like you said, you're taking the time. you have At your leisure, you could go through all these records and pick them apart. So yeah. are you starting to study and figure out the lines on the bass and the guitar, or copying the albums, or are you just focusing on how you want to play music? Like, you know, how deep did you go? Most, mostly just analytical listening, but right. not playing a bunch of these songs. Yes. Right, like I like that. I like that. Just analytical. Yeah. yeah, like we, yeah, we didn't really sit up and learn a bunch of things. Um, we wrote our own songs. Right. Because <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, everybody else, everybody else's sound influences you too much, and 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 your own voice can't come out. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, and that's that's possible. Like, because we're super duper funkadelic fans, right. because the, at the point of entry, I was so young. You know. Yeah. You, you know, it was probably seven when my cousin brought over those two Funkadelic albums. He brought them over. His mother wouldn't allow allow him to play them in her house. Oh, wow. Right? That's she was funny. like, oh, they too nasty. You can't play that here. So he came to my mom's house, and she allowed him to play it. Gotcha. The first Funkadelic album in America Eats Is Young. I used to think I was six. But it, it does like America Eats is Young like can't didn't come out early enough for me to be six. Mm. But so, you know, like we was we was me and my brother was hooked from the very beginning. So and it so it's interesting because no, I did not sit down and listen to a bunch of Parliament and Funkadelic albums and try to play those songs either. Right. It was listening, pleasure, analyzing what was happening. Yep. We didn't just sit up and play them like the first, when my ear came together, I was 12. And the first three songs that I really grasped was like Brick House by the Commodores. Uh, yep. Song called You and I by Rick James. <laughs> and Night of the Thumposaurus Peoples by Parliament. Ah. The Mothership Connection album, right? But I still, I still didn't go through the P-Funk catalog and just learn a bunch of songs. Mm. Like... I would learn songs, but it, it, the stuff that I really loved, I didn't learn a bunch. And then as the original Fishbone guys began to come together and we started being a band, like we played some of that stuff, but we didn't sit up and learn it note for note. Right. What we learned note for note was Rush. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like entry level rush was permanent waves. Nice. Right? And and like so we learned rush note for note. We learned 
Permanent Wave albums and Moving Pictures. I'm positive we learned every song on both of those albums. Wow. Lee Kendall and Fish. See, and I can hear it in your music because you guys do these beautiful unison guitar and bass lines. I was going to ask you about that. So, yes. Okay, so that's the connection. Yes, and other than that, like, you know, we was just playing whatever, like, you know, because Kendall's ear was impeccable, so he come in playing, like, Rock Lobster or some Gary Newman or we we played Devo. We didn't learn the albums. You know, Gates of Steel, that was something that we all sat up and played a bunch by Devo. It was all the Devo songs, too, uh, that we learned, but, you know, like, we weren't we weren't looking to go out and be a cover band. Right. We just learned those songs for fun. Man, let's talk about that because that's something that I I try to bring to light all the time with young musicians, especially aspiring, you know, career musicians as I call it. Um, there's a big difference between being a side a side man or like a cover band or a side man for other artists and being an artist. So it sounds like you guys knew from an early point that you wanted to be your own band. You wanted to be an artist. Is that true from an early Absolutely. age? Yes. Okay. Yes. And talk I, about I, that, man. It's like, how did, because that's interesting that you knew so young. Not everybody knows that young, you know? Well, it was, and it was really like a very specific point. And, and again, we were just playing stuff to be for fun at this time, just, you know, play Knee Deep or play whatever Rick James song was popular, Busting Out or whatever it was at the time. And we just be in the room, let's play what we could. And it was Dirty Walt. Dirty Walt was like, we better get to writing our own songs if we want to be anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Walt just kind of yanked us out of this space and was like, you know, that was a very specific moment. Right. You know? And and we listened to him shift gears and took a direction. Bam. That was it. That was it. So did you ever spend a portion of your career working as a sideman or no? It was always Fishbone or nothing? Like me and Fish, we, we played with a band called Animal Dance very early uh, as we got out playing clubs. Okay. Um... I've, I've, you know, I, we've done that. We've done the sideman thing. You know, I've done it. Fish, you know, you played with fish. You yeah, see, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does that. Yeah. He, he, you know, when he left the band, that's who he became. Gotcha. So, but it mostly my identity is connected to the guys that became Fishbone. Right. Like I've, I've been playing with the same dude since age 14. That's really cool, man, because not too many people can say that. Yeah, I'm, I just, I feel very fortunate. Like, even when times are rough, I could look around and be like, well, you know, like, if I'm, I'm in a very unique situation because of that. Right, right. You know, and there's a beauty to it, even if it ain't easy. That's right. Wow. Man, I remember in my first rock band back in New York, my homies when I was like 13, 14, 15, you know, I don't get to play with those guys anymore. So it, again, I, I do think there's something special about that. Now I noticed that also Fishbone had a lot of members that would come in and out over the years. Yeah. And uh, on stage, you guys seemed like, again, you adopted that kind of P-Funk mentality where it's just a big 
band having fun not jamming but almost because you guys had you have definitely songs but you guys were definitely had that would you call it jam band or what would you call it what was that culture that was happening well it's, it's it is the spirit of of allowing for improvision right 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 like within the context of most of what we do is room for that sometimes we take full advantage sometimes a little less yeah you know, so, so, but, but yeah, if that's, you know, we, we are fans of freedom. <laughs> I love that. I love, I'm writing that down. Yeah. That's, that's going in the interview notes, fans of freedom. Yeah. yeah. So, so like our, our whole, we were always like, you know, you, you go, you record something and it's one way and it should evolve mm -hmm. it, there should it should evolve it should grow yes you know like there's some bands that that perfect the art of playing it just like you record it and that's that's a possible way to be i ain't mad at the people that do it right you know but that's that is not my idea of what it means to be an artist right Right. You know, my my idea of, of, of an artist, as, of, of being an artist, is is to is to allow for the expression to be pure for the day for today. I feel this way today. My one hundred percent or more that I'm giving you is based on how I feel right now. Right. Not three years ago. Not when I wrote the song. Not yesterday. You know, like it's you're getting the me being present to whatever my day brought me, how the person that I'm looking into the eyes of in the audience, you know, if the if the if if everybody's raising hell on stage, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's so awesome, man. All right. So you early on you guys got signed to Columbia, you were saying, right? Yes. All right, so you hit the road for the first time as a band. What was that like? Talk about that, man. That had to be a blast. Well, you know what? That was we were we were starting to hit the road before we fully connected to that deal. And so, okay. you know, like riding to San Francisco, you know. So like regional gigs. Yeah, doing the regional gigs, like San Francisco, Denver, you know. Yeah. Like, but when we when we finally released the record and we went from LA to uh, New York and back, and we played at Irving Plaza. Nice, our first time in New York. The whole trip was insane. Yeah, it's like we're on tour. Ain't that ain't none of us like legal for shit? You know, <laughs> our tour manager didn't have a driver's license. You know, <laughs> he just riding <laughs> in my van. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and but you know, it was you know, it was it was an incredible time for us. You know, like we were still. I don't. I don't think I was. I think I was nineteen, and so I was like, I was nineteen. Ronald Reagan was president, right? Wow. And uh, he had already gotten that at all the states to say, you know, you must raise your drinking age limit or we're gonna take away federal uh, dollars for your roads. Wow. Right? 
So I was at the just right age to where I was 19. I could get to New York. I could drink. (laughs) 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 You know, I was legal to go to a bar. Thank goodness, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, go back to New York. I'm 20. They just raised it to 20, you know. Oh, wow. I, I went with it. And now, you know, for better or worse, it was important for me at the time. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, for better or worse, it's still important to me from time to time. (laughs) Now. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, but yeah, like, and you know what? That very first show, it was Vernon Reed's Living Color opening. Nice. Um, that was before there was Corey Glover in the band. Wow. So they were opening for you. Okay. Yeah. Love that. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, you know, we was just young, wild, you know, you know, and so look, and, and this is like San Francisco became our first, second home. Nice. And and then New York became our second home. Ah. (laughs) You know? Gotcha. Like... You know, like we hit New York so much, people thought we were from the East Coast. Right. Well, Maybe it had to do with the energy of the band, too. I was just going to say, man, you guys, you guys strike me as East Coast, man. I grew up East Coast, born and raised in New York. And there's something about the East Coast, man. It's like, we don't give a fuck. Everything's like, yo, you either like this, you like what we do, or you don't. You know, fuck you. I'm not here to please you. And that's what I love about you guys. <laughs> so Yeah. And and that's why people like I know that's why people embraced us. And look, it's things about New York and New Yorkers that, you know, just straight up like like Fishbone encountering Murphy's Law, right? Like that was licensed to ill tour, Beastie Boys. Right? <laughs> we were Fishbone encountered Murphy's Law and it was like Damn, they remind us of home. They like a Crip gang or something. Right. You know, right. <laughs> we we related to them. That's you know? awesome. Yes. You know, so it was, that was an immediate bonding and brotherhood. So, you know, it's things like that that, like, yeah, there's similarities to these big cities. <laughs> right, right. For, for sure, for sure. What was what was some of the biggest tours that you remember doing that you were like, okay, shoot, man, this is like, you know, whether you said to yourself, I know we're not supposed to say it, but whether you said to yourself, oh, man, we made it, or, you know, I'm happy I reached the goal that I wanted to reach, or, you know, I feel successful. When was that point? Like, what were some of those tours or time time periods in your career that you felt that? Um, You know, that's... You know, those things happen over and over and over again because, again, like we're in a very fortunate position, just the timing of of when we emerged, Mm -hmm. you know? So believe me, being on the License to Ill tour was like, it was, that was one of them, the whole world is watching moments. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like all eyes were on the Beastie Boys at that time and we were direct support. Right. You know, so it was an incredible experience, you know, and, and honestly, you know, there's, you know, like we did in, in the, in the, in the, I believe it was the early nineties. Like we, we did, we did a stretch where we did two tours where just Fishbone and Primus, the first one we headlined 
and then the second one they headlined and maybe in between no it was i want to think in between was Lollapalooza, but it might not have been in between gotcha but I'm, I'm my timelines are off yeah 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 that's all right <laughs> but uh but you know all of that time was incredible it's like right you know like Lollapalooza itself yeah right like perry farrell's the homie and he created this thing that became ubiquitous in the minds of con like in the, uh, what it meant to be to have a wait there was no traveling concerts ah right there was no traveling festivals before Lollapalooza. Right. Right. That, so he, he changed the world huge. with that one. Yeah, that's huge. You know? So, you know, being on Lollapalooza, it was just like one, you know, it's like rock and roll summer camp backstage, right? It's kind of <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's fucking insane. <laughs> one could only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, having it be like, you know, Alice in Chains, Primus, Fishbone, Arrested Development, wow. you know, and so many other bands. It was just like, you know, that was that year, that was the biggest thing on the planet. Right. And that's like, was that mid 90s or early 90s? 93. 93. Gotcha. I remember that, man. I do remember that. I, unfortunately, I didn't ever get to see it live, but I remember that whole movement. Hey. You heard of that band Fishbone? Well, I'm the bass player. My name is Norwood. Norwood Fisher, to be exact. You're listening to the Career Musician Podcast with the good brother Nomad. Stay tuned. The goal of the Career Musician Podcast is to provide valuable insight aimed at supporting working musicians. Please show your support by listening, downloading, subscribing, sharing, liking, and leaving a review. Subscribe to the brand new Career Musician YouTube channel, now streaming all of the Career Musician podcast episodes. And that, like I said, that's when I was getting into you guys. And speaking of Primus, I think that that's a really cool, um, you know, combination, you guys and Primus, because you got less on bass and you on bass and you guys are both like freaking, you know, prodigy bass players, you know, that must have been cool. That was amazing. You like, yeah. you know, with, by the time we got to Lollapalooza, we had a long history. Okay. You know, like, because yeah. we had done things in clubs in California. Sure. You know, so, and, and, and had bonded and, you know, had knew there was mutual love. Right. Right. By then, it was just like, oh, homies, just, you know, it's a family affair. Right. Which makes it even better. It does. It that's does. what that's what the road has to be about, right? Otherwise, it's you know, it's it's it's, it's best when when we most most of the most of our encounters have been positive with most bands, like right. you know, just like I ain't got a lot of complaining to do about nobody. So you know, what I mean, all my, awesome. my memories are almost all really good. That's awesome, man. Uh, attitude of gratitude is is the right thing, right? Yeah, man. That's beautiful. All right, yeah. so what would you tell, whether there's like a young musician coming up just being a sideman or a young band coming up touring as their own band, what advice would you give them when they hit the road? Okay, so not everybody is built to tour their entire lives. 
right? Like, I'm built for that. I'm mm -hmm. built for what I do. I am not tired of touring. But it's possible that you can. Mm. You know? Um, just not like the road, you know, entertainment in general, movies, music, television, the structure of it makes it easy to fall into excess. And I have did my fair share of excess. You know, mainly I just be pay attention, pay attention to 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 how you're living. Yeah. Enjoy it to the fullest, you know, but, you know, watch out for the traps, <laughs> you know. There's, and there's plenty of traps. So, and and when and the traps all feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know? they do. <laughs> so you know, just keep in keep in mind, like you know, just it, what it is. You know, I wouldn't tell anybody not to do anything because I did enough myself to where I don't, don't want to look like a hypocrite. Hmm. But what I would say. Put the music first. Mm. That's good advice, yeah. Like, just really yeah. make sure that the music is why you're doing it. Mm. Yep. Not for the party, not for the sex, not for the adoration. Yeah. Put the music first. And you could always have, like, if you get a little far out there, you can always bring it back to the music. Mm. you know that's that's perfect that's perfect that's spoken like a, a true professional man you've been there you've done that you've seen it all <laughs> but at the same time like you said enjoy it but just you know gauge your balance right watch yourself yes. yeah exactly that's all because hey because sometimes because some people you don't you don't know that you can't pull yourself out of a bag until you're trapped in a bag and you you like, oh shit, I'm stuck. Man. I can't cut this shit loose. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's that's all. That's just don't, you know, I lost some friends. Yeah. And I got some friends stuck in cycles that yeah. they can't seem to get out, work their way out of. So that's all. Right, right. Don't want to see anybody in those situations. Absolutely not. Man. All right. So conversely, what advice would you give? to young bands that are getting ready to sign record deals or perhaps that are, you know, looking to sign with a label and whatnot. Any, any business advice that you would give in that direction? Always talk to a lawyer. <laughs> Amen. Like, like, talk to a few lawyers if you can. Yes. Like, get outside advice. Um, and, and if you will hope that you can find people that you can ask free advice that are knowledgeable. Mm. Um, the, the current paradigm, which includes 360 deals, mm -hmm. like that is the most absurd, like I could, I, I would not suggest anybody follow that path. Right. There may be some upsides to it that I can't see. Mm. You know, I come from a time where people look to have more ownership than not, by and large. 360 deals did not exist in the time when I was coming up. If I was young and that's all there was, maybe I would have dealt with it. You know, I don't know. I can't see it, though. 
Right. Not, I was, my, that wasn't my life. But the deals that we did have, there were downsides to those. I, w- I always looked at the people that own their own record labels like with admiration. Mm. You know, artists, people like Easy E. Easy E always looked like, you know, like, dude, like, I, I, I never, I haven't done it. I have owned a record label in my time, but I didn't do it well, didn't maintain it well. Gotcha. You know, so. We live in a time now where artists can actually be self-empowered. Yes. And so, like, my advice would be to look at that. It may not be the way to go for everybody either. You have to have a particular kind of mind to run a business. And sometimes as an artist, it is beneficial to hand over some responsibilities to someone else. Yeah, the day-to-day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. You have to be honest with yourself on what you can do, what you can accomplish. Because you may have, you may be sitting on a masterpiece, but you're not the one to bring it to the world. Wow, isn't that a trip? You know, like you have you have to really be able to to. So so again, having a circle, having people that you could trust, people that you think are smarter than you. People that will tell you no Mm. is super important. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great because they they hold you accountable. Yeah, there's a level of accountability that yeah 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 and and honesty is much better than somebody kissing your ass all the time. Oh, amen to that. Like I like I always imagined at a certain point. There's probably nobody around Michael Jackson that could say no. Man, that's crazy. And you think maybe that's why some of the greats ended up the way they did because of that. Yeah. That's yes, exactly. That's where I'm I going mean, with it. Like Yeah. You know. And and like Prince, Michael, I mean, but yeah. you can go back, you know, people like Hendrix and I mean the list goes well, on. Who was gonna say no to Elvis? Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's yeah. the king. Right. Who's going to say no to these guys? Yeah, you're yeah. just not. <laughs> it's healthy to have people who don't think you, who don't think of you in a fanboy type way, fangirl type way. Like, it's healthy. Yeah. You know, it, it may feel good to be put on a pedestal, but, you know, that it doesn't give you reality most times. That's right. You know? Like the old saying, we all put our pants one leg on at a time, right? My dad would always say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and try taking a shit and not wiping your ass for you now. Like, you know. <laughs> that, that, that would be awful. That would be awful. <laughs> we all will get the same results. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so true. I love it, man. This is this is some great advice, man. Well, look, you you also seem like you have held up a good level of, of fitness and health, you know, what are some of the things that you've done to maintain your health and lifestyle over, the, you know, health lifestyle in general over the years? What do you enjoy doing? You know, like you may look at some old footage or pictures of a younger Norwood. Yeah, bro. You're shredded in some of those pictures, bro. Right? You're well, shredded. No, no. I, was, I was a chain smoker, right? Like, okay. I used I was a chain smoker and I stopped smoking in 97. Okay. And really like really like 
Derek Brakefield was the bass player for the band called The Untouchables. Yeah. L.A. band. And Derek was my, one of my best friends. And he, 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 used, we, he was my drinking buddy. And we'd get all fucked up. And I'd wake up on his couch. And he'd be like, go run with me. This motherfucker would get up and go run at fucking 5.30 in the morning after uh -huh. a full night of drinking. Or uh -huh. anywhere between 5 and 7. He'd get up. You just wake up, go run, I don't know how many miles. Come run with me. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, he got me out to run. And I would run, and I, my lungs would clear up a little bit. And then I'd, you know, I'd enjoy that for a while, and i put all the nicotine back. And, uh, uh. and then Flea began to ask me, he had this, he had a, a crew of dudes, we called, he called it the stud club. So the crew of, crew of cats that would go to work out. Pete Weiss from Thelonious Monster, John Frusciante. Right. Uh, uh, D.H. Pellegro and a few other guys, right? We'd go to Flea's house. We'd work out, you know, I think we lift, lifted weights, did some push-ups, and, and we'd run a little bit. So, I, like, I live on the beach at the original Muscle Beach in Santa Monica. It took me two weeks of going to... Right going to Los Feliz, which is a good ride, showing up late every single time, <laughs> walk out my door one day and go like, why am I crossing LA to work out? I got the yeah. original Muscle Beach right outside my door. Yeah, yeah. So I started enjoying my own neighborhood. Nice. And in uh, 97, I qu ended up quit smoking cigarettes. Good. And I replaced that addiction with another addiction, which was running. Nice. Well, that's why you always look so shredded. Yeah. So I started running, and and uh, and so Derek came and ran with me a bunch and kind of kick-started me. Yeah. And then I, I was just off and loving it. That's awesome. You know, and, and periodically still running with Flea. He's... Kicks my ass every time, just so you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he looks pretty shredded himself too. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Man, you know, I I fell in love with running like five years ago, and I was pretty consistent for a good three years, and then my my back, my lower back started really messing with me. Have you yeah. experienced any joint pain or any back pain, and and what have you done to combat that? If you have no no joint pain and no real back pain. Okay. Um, there is, you know, I'm I'm bad about stretching, mm. so I I do stretch some, but I'm bad about it. I'm not really like I got to do these really long runs, and then like I got to get to my day, and like oh, stretching that's gonna take more time. I need to get in the shower and get on with my day. Yeah, yeah. But but really, anything that I'm feeling can be rectified by actually stretching. I think I think that's so true. Yeah. You know, but I'm actually like I know I got yoga in my future. And yes, I, I, I say that all the time because yes. that's but that's the other thing. But yeah, like I I I actually I work out. I I you know there was a time when I was working out excessively. Yeah, and it was very much based on Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nice Fishbone Red Hot Chili Peppers, 1986, the Best of the West tour. Fishbone, Chili Peppers, and Thelonious Monster, right? Nationwide tour. 
I believe we were in Atlanta, and Flea and Anthony came into the venue talking to each other. Ah, oh, how many sit-ups did you do today? Oh, I did a thousand. Oh, I did a thousand too. Right? <laughs> so as I be as I came toward my 40th birthday, and I was working out. Yeah. At that time, I just thought to myself, like, damn, them dudes worked out like that. You know, Anthony's cut way back then. He, yeah. You know, still ripped. And exactly. So I, I was I was sitting up, I was like, Damn, man, I ain't never did a thousand and nothing in my life. <laughs> I was like, I think for my birthday, I'm going to try and do a thousand push-ups and a thousand sit-ups. So the week leading up to my birthday, my 40th birthday, I started working up to a thousand push-ups and a thousand sit-ups. Wow. Right? And that became my thing for a while. I don't do that anymore. It kind of drove me crazy. I would say, how that? So, how the hell do you go about accomplishing that? Because that's obviously you can't do it all at once. You got to break it up. Well, it, it was like I, I learned how to. I figured out how to do a. Before then, I learned figured out how to do a hundred push-ups. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, you got to start I, there. I could, yeah. yeah. I can break it down and do a hundred push-ups. So if I'm gonna do a thousand, maybe I'm gonna do them by fifties. And but I would just. You know, do, do, you know, maybe do 200, take a break, do 200, yep. take short breaks, yep. you know. So anyway, like how I, how I ended up, I had a martial arts teacher that was like, you want to know how to do 100 push-ups? I was like, yeah. He said, do 100 push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> so so like how I got, and how I got there, if I did them by five, I do, I do five push-ups. You know, take a 20-second break, do five more, take a 20-second break, and then bring it closer together, my breaks, uh, until I could do 50 at a time. Right. Right? And then i do them by 25 and 100, and then I got it to where I could do 100, and then 1,000 was like i do them by do them by 100 until I could do 150 at a time. Right. They do 200 at a time, and they do five sets of 200, right? So it it really didn't, like, I'm I'm patient, so, yeah. you know, it didn't seem like it took up all my day. But be, because my workout was like, I had a fucking five hours of fitness in the morning in this time. Wow. Right? Like, I wake up, I do push-ups and sit-ups and whatever the fuck else I was doing. Mm-hmm. Go run. My run is an hour and a half. And then I go surfing. Oh, wow. Two hours. So, you know, like I was, my head was just in this space. That's beautiful. Life will not afford me that right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that takes a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's how I was living. So anyway, a few years ago, me and Flea is kicking it at his house. And he's like, damn, you ripped, bro. And I was not doing a thousand push-ups and sit-ups at this time, but I was working out, staying, maintaining my thing. He's like, damn, you ripped, bro. He's like, I was like, well, I was like, I got inspired by you and Anthony. He's like, yeah, really? I was like, yeah. And I told him about this show in Atlanta yeah. where they came in. So he looked at me, he was like, we was bullshitting. I ain't never did a thousand and nothing in my <laughs> Oh, they took you for a ride, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. 
but at least it worked. At least it got you inspired. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm grateful for it. It, it, it pushed me to, to work towards something that I would have never imagined. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't grow up thinking about a thousand push-ups and sit-ups. Right. So I, I think I think it's important for musicians to to really keep some kind of good healthy lifestyle because everything else we do doesn't necessarily promote it. And I'm not talking about the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm talking about sitting in your chair playing your bass or your guitar hunched over, yeah. right? Or or standing up on stage for hours on end with the bass or the guitar strapped to your shoulders. Yes. You know, all that stuff is not good for your posture. It's not good for your bones. You know. Yeah, or or traveling from city to city. Exactly, traveling and not getting the proper sleep, and you know. Yes, just simply, oh, you got a seven-hour drive to the next city, or yeah, you you, you either in a tour bus, a van, or whatever. Yeah. Like periodically, you got a fourteen-hour drive somewhere if you're touring. Man. It happens. Yeah. So, so you know, like yeah. And push-ups and sit-ups come in hand, and squats and all that. It comes in handy when you're on locked up on the bus for 14 hours. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, you know, it's important. It's important. You know, there was, a, there was times when I looked at myself and I'm like, oh, you're about to turn into you have a figure like Homer Simpson. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. you gotta rectify this. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, I love it. I'm so glad you you, you take on the, the initiative to do that. Okay, so so moving right along. I don't want to keep you too long. We're going to wrap up here soon. But uh, you've given us so much, man. I really appreciate it. All the words of wisdom, and I, and I love that you know your work ethic speaks for itself. For itself, you you were from an early age. You were determined to be an artist in a band, and you did just that. Wrapping it up. Is there any other words of wisdom that you would throw out to anybody? You know, like I said, especially the young generation coming up. We are we live in an unprecedented reality right now. You could say that 79 <laughs> <and> over. <laughs> like, you know, no one could prepare anyone for the world as it is. No, sir. Um, I am looking forward to the sound of a youth untethered by the uh, influence of the past. I'm looking for the youth to take us to the future. Nice. So, you know, I, 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 I've long thought that not much has happened that was very different musically that since the 70s. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like craft work, right? Wow. Like, you know, uh, you know, reggae and yeah. dance hall and dub and punk rock and funk. Yeah. You know, like Fishbone came along and mixed all that together. That's right. Right? That's and right. All of the different styles, but most of real music innovation happened in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. And and so I'm looking for right now the soundtrack to the future is important. And I'm I'm like, I'm just want to encourage kids to or or whoever if is is making music to try to do something that hasn't been done before. 
Mm. I'm really curious as to what's next. Wow. Because Fishbone tries still, we're still in pursuit of that. Yeah, and that's a tall order, bro. Yeah, we may, it's, not, it's nice to have an unattainable goal ahead of you. It keeps you motivated. That's right. That's right. And the, and the people will one day tell us whether we did it or not. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's right, man. So speaking of that, what's next for Fishbone? Aside from the pandemic slowing everything down, what are you guys looking at to looking to do next? Well, you know what? We just went in the studio with Fat Mike, no effects. Oh, yeah. Cut one track. It was an awesome experience. Looked like the band and, and the producer walked away going like, that was a fun time. So I think we're up to go figure out song number two, maybe three, four, five, and six. I don't know. Nice. But we're, we're in a good place. That's so, awesome. So one in the chamber, <laughs> one on the way. All right. And we'll see. We just, you know, we got a little time. Yeah. This is the, this is great timing, actually. Yeah. All right. Hey, would you mind if we do rapid fire questions real fast? Yeah, let's do. Yeah, I don't want you to think. Just answer. You ready? Mm -hmm. Favorite food? Black beans. Oh, I love that. Black beans and rice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Favorite drink? Libation. If you still drink, if not, what's your favorite soft drink? Green tea. Ah, good one. Favorite sport? Surfing. How do you spend your free time, assuming you have some? That's a hard one. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> okay, sleeping and working out. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. What activities do you enjoy on a long flight other than sleeping? I go off into my head and sort out my problems a lot. <laughs> there you go. That's nice. Self-therapy self time. <laughs> yes. Introspection moments. There you go. Long flights. There you go. What's the last song or band that you listened to that wasn't yourself or that you didn't play on? You know what? I went to, I, I, I uh, actually, I pulled up this album. I don't remember the name of the album. It's a, it's a band right now. It's a band called Bad Cop, Bad Cop on Fat Records. And so, like, I pulled them up on Apple Music and listened to the whole album. Nice. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. What's the latest TV show or movie you've been streaming, watching, or getting into? Midnight Gospel. Midnight Gospel? Yes. We're going to have to check that one out, too. Yes. And when we can... Oh, Midnight Gospel's insane. <laughs> Midnight... What's that? Midnight Gospel. Okay. Oh, you're saying it's insane. Got you. Yeah. All right, cool. I can't wait to check it out. Uh, and when we can shop, do you prefer shopping in, in, in the store or online? Brick and mortar or online? I'm old school brick and mortar dude. I like it. Yeah. And if you had a dream collaboration musically that has not been fulfilled yet, what would it be? I'd like to collaborate with Grace Jones. Grace Jones. That's a good one. Wow. All right. And finally, last question. If you weren't a career musician, what do you think you would do? I had every intention on becoming a trash man really yes did you did you know somebody in the family that was like yo i can hook you up with a gig or what no when i was in the ninth grade i got kicked out of every class possible in the fifth period right after lunch wow so they made up a class for me it was called custodial engineering oh my god <laughs> 
That's hilarious. They were trying to teach you a lesson? <laughs> yes. Wow. But there was really no other class for me to go to, right? Yeah. And uh, so I hung out with the janitors, picked up trash after all my friends ate and ate at lunch. Right. But that's not really the reason why. That's just an interesting fact. Okay. So my real jobby job in, in the 11th grade was at Taco Bell. Ah, okay. And there was a girl that worked at Taco Bell. I can't even remember her name right now, but she's a really good looking young lady. Yeah. And she used to come to Taco Bell. She worked, she drove a Corvette, right? And then someday she'd roll up in a brand new Cadillac. Periodically, her family would come to pick her up and they'd be in this gigantic motorhome. And one day I was like, what the hell does your father do to do like all these nice vehicles? That's right. She's like, he's a trash man. I'm like, really? She's like, you'd be surprised. Trash men make a lot of money. I was like, oh shit. Like, cause trash men go to work super early. Yeah. And I was like, I could play clubs all night, get fucked up. If I went to work, a little buzz. Who would give a fuck about Nobody's a trash man hanging <laughs> off the back of the truck? Then a little buzz. This That's perfect right. job. <laughs> man, I love that story. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. But you never, you never had to resort to that. No, nah, no, nah, never happened. There you go. Knock wood. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I was, but that's that's where I'm, that's how my wheels was spinning. Smarty pants ass motherfucker was. <laughs> but to have rats hopping out of trash cans on him, but <laughs> I, I was gonna. When you said that, I was gonna say, man, they make good money because I remember in New York, one of my uncles was in the business, and I always remember my family talking about, yeah, well, so and so, they make good money doing that, you know. So, yeah, that's that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I had a whole plan. I could, I could be a trash man, play music, you know. Yeah. That's awesome. Come on, man. <laughs> I did, I figured out oh, what I got to be to work at four a.m. I just got off at the club at two thirty. Right, right. You know, like perfect. And I was gonna say, and then once you once you get on the road, that's like lobby calls. You get back to the hotel room at one or two a.m. Your lobby calls at four or five a.m. So again, you're conditioned to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Norwood, man, thank you so much for being a guest. On the career musician, brother. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That was that was a fun journey we took. Want to learn more about a particular topic? Tag at the career musician and use hashtag career musician to let us know what you'd like to hear. Follow the career musician on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on the latest news and tips from the world's leading musicians. I'm just a nomad, nowhere man. Writing the songs in this one man band. I know man, yeah. I'm no man. Now, darling, you'll be fine. I'll be back this way. 
Hey, this is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at pantheonpodcast.com for more info.